Well, hey, welcome back everyone to the Leadership Lessons Podcast. My name is Pastor Daniel Williams, your host, and I am excited and thankful that you have joined me once again today to learn leadership lessons, principles, wisdom from other godly men and women. It is so important that we are staying in fellowship with one another, and I'm blessed to be able to be in your ear or you watching this video to be able to pour into you in this way. Uh, I love our times together when I am able to hit the record button in my office and just uh, glean wisdom from all these leaders around the nation and pour that into you. And in this episode today, uh, it's going to feature two people I love dearly, my parents, Joe and Irene Williams. Recently, I was able to visit uh, both of them uh, there in Calvary Chapel, Tacoma, Tacoma, Washington, uh, and just hang out with the church family there that I grew up in, um, Calvary Chapel, Tacoma, and spend some time uh, with my parents. And uh, I, I've loved being able to have this relationship with my parents, me being in ministry and to be able to glean from them. And so I ask uh, my mom to share a leadership lesson and my dad to share a leadership lesson uh, for our time together today that I could pour, pour into you and pass on um, just uh, all that they've been passing on to me. And so I feel really blessed to be part of such a great structure, not only in a family unit, but also in a church family. I grew up in a small church, uh, set up, tear down, no building, many multiple locations um, all over the town in Tacoma, Washington, and uh, Calvary Chapel, Tacoma, it's like family. They have actually not only supported me, but also supported uh, Redemption Church in Delray Beach as they have sent us off from Pacific Northwest to come to Southeast Florida here as we planted a church and uh, continue to plant more churches and help other people. And so it was a joy to visit them, to have a weekend of fellowship, and I was not only able to go by myself, but I took a special friend with me, Pastor Will Torres uh, from Proclaim Church, a local pastor here in our area where we are their sending church. Uh, Will and Kristen, they actually did a church planning residency with us, Redemption Church in Delray Beach, and we were able to uh, pour into them, train them, and send them just a few miles away uh, so that we could be in close proximity and be able to have fellowship and do this thing together. And so the mission of our church, Redemption Church, is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. And I love how they took on that name, Proclaim Church. And God really knitted our hearts together, Pastor Will and I, just to be good friends, uh, to support. And I'm so blessed to be able to have him uh, be with us, to be able to train him and then send him out. And Will and Kristen are doing awesome uh, there in uh, Lake Worth, Florida. And uh, so I was able to fly Pastor Will out and he preached at Calvary Chapel Tacoma. That's right. Uh, I wanted to encourage their body today to uh, have him preach. My dad uh, will oftentimes watch Pastor Will on Facebook Live as he's getting ready for his service. And so I thought it would be fun to bring Pastor Will and connect him with a couple of um, other pastors in the Northwest that I'm in a relationship with and have him teach at the church I grew up in. And just to thank Calvary Chapel Tacoma to say, hey, the things you've passed on to me, like I'm passing that on to other people. And so um, it was so awesome. I was able to lead worship for both services, had uh, Will preach and just be in fellowship with a lot of great um, men and women and really family there in that fellowship. And so it was a great time to connect with other pastors in the Northwest and just to really uh, be encouraged by my parents' faithfulness and to see their fruit. Um, uh, it was just a, a blessing. And so when I was there, I actually did a few leadership lessons and recorded a few things, but I'm just going to concentrate this episode with Joe and Irene Williams, my parents. Now you may know my dad. 
hopefully you do, uh, Joe Williams. He's been a Calvary Chapel pastor for over 40 years, and he's actually provided a lot of wisdom and content over the years through this podcast. Uh, I've suckered him into doing a lot of different stuff, and um, in season four, I actually interviewed him as I taught every single episode um, that was sort of during the pandemic. I taught every single episode, Leadership Principles through Nehemiah, an audio, and then I recorded my dad and I just asked him um, for two or three days for hours questions that he had no idea what the question would be and just gave me his perspective and wisdom. And so um, you can check all that out and listen to the whole season, season four of my dad, uh, giving his insight and wisdom with leadership principles from the book of Nehemiah. In fact, that whole season even had an extra seven bonus episodes because uh, I wanted to finish the book and made that uh, just available to you. But also recently, you may be familiar with my dad as well, as he, I released two new sort of roundtable talks of him sharing wisdom with local pastors here in our area. We are a part of a Patreon uh, group and community where um, I'm able to give you special access to things that are happening in my life, bonus content. And part of being a part of the Patreon page is um, I have these roundtable talks. We have a group of pastors here in our area that we uh, get together in fellowship and just ask older, wiser, uh, experienced uh, leaders to come and pour into us. And so um, I've been able to release something from Trip Kimball, uh, my dad, uh, this month. I just going to release uh, his two part roundtable talk. And just to be able to ask questions to learn from that, it, it's been sweet. So, all that to say, my dad's going to share in this episode, and you probably are familiar with him. He has something new to say, um, and I'm looking forward to that. But I'm really excited to introduce you to my mom for the first time. That's right. Uh, she's going to share with us here first. Um, and man, she shared and brought the heat. She brought the fire. It was a fire hose of wisdom and leadership. In fact, her leadership lesson is about 35 minutes and it's really like four or five lessons. She talks about how uh, to be a living sacrifice for the Lord as a, as a leader, seven qualities of a godly leader, three qualifications of church leaders. Uh, being a leader in the church is a blessing. And so I'll break those up in my YouTube channel and be able to uh, edit those and put those together and post those videos. But you, special audience, Leadership Lesson Podcast viewer and listener, you get the whole thing unabridged, uncut, uh, to be able to bless you and to pour into you. Because remember, I'm doing every other week an episode of this podcast, uh, and this is episode number eight of season five. I want to give you enough content uh, for a couple of weeks so that way we can uh, you can uh, start not memorize, but really get this content sort of embedded in your bones, process it, think through it. And then throughout those two weeks, I have extra stuff in our Patreon page, answering questions, content on YouTube, and just want to flip things up. Um, so this, this, this episode is full of, uh, of great content. It's jam packed. I should probably stop talking so you can get into, uh, these, ep uh, these leadership lessons by my parents, but I do want to give you a little bit of preview after my mom's leadership lesson. Uh, I want to give you a little bit of perspective as a pastor's kid, uh, because I think that's really helpful and will be important for many of you as you are raising your children in ministry. You may have not grown up in the ministry. And so I just want to give you three helpful things that I saw and appreciate as a PK from my parents, and I'll do that in between their lessons. And so, man, without further ado, here is my mom, Irene Williams, as she talks about leadership in the church. Hi, I'm Irene Williams. I'm Daniel Williams' mom. 
My husband is Joe Williams, Daniel's dad, the pastor of Calvary Chapel of Tacoma. We've been in ministry for over 40 years, so I want to open in prayer and then share on leadership. Heavenly Father, we love you, we praise you, we give you all praise and glory for this opportunity to share your word and encourage others in the Lord and in leadership, Father. I pray your Holy Spirit would bless the message to our hearts, Father, that you would be glorified and we would be transformed to your image, dear Father. We love you and we praise you and we commit this time and this study to you, Lord. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Years ago, Joe and I used to listen to Hermano Pablo, who was Paul Finkenbinder, a evangelist to South America. And he had a 15-minute radio program called A Message to the Conscience. He shared something that I'll never forget. Hermano Pablo said, When you say you're a Christian and that you follow Christ, remember that someone is always watching your life. You see, we as Christians, we need to follow Jesus' life and example, and the world needs to see Jesus in us, and believers need to follow our examples of how to live in Christ. There was a song years ago that said it perfectly. It said, you're the only Jesus that some will ever see. So as leaders, people need to see Jesus in you. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20 tells us that we are ambassadors of Christ. The Apostle Paul says that we've been reconciled or restored. Our relationship has been made right with God. We've been reconciled to God through Christ by his salvation. We've been forgiven. We've made, been made free from any accusations. And we've been approved by God. So as ambassadors or God's representatives, we take this gospel message out into the world to implore others to be reconciled with God. As a leader, you're God's ambassador. You represent him wherever you are and wherever you go. The Apostle Paul knew the importance of leadership and living a holy, righteous life that would be an example for others. In fact, he boldly proclaimed and exhorted Christian leaders to set an example of Christ's likeness for others to follow. In 1 Corinthians 4.16 and again in 1 Corinthians 11.1, um, 1, Paul states, Be imitators of me, just as I also imitate Christ. And then Paul tells us why we should imitate his life as he imitates Christ's life. He urges believers in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And this is one of my all-time favorite scriptures in the Bible. As a new believer, I was just so blessed and happy to be saved from going to hell and having eternal life and going to heaven, knowing God that this scripture, when I read it, it jumped off the page to me, and I said, that's what I want to be. Well, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, 
Paul says, I beseech you. That word beseech means I urge you. The Greek word means to call alongside, to help. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present, which means yield, your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. So Paul is urging believers to present them themselves to God as a living sacrifice. Well, what is a living sacrifice? Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. He was the perfect Lamb of God. And when we are like Christ and we present ourselves as a living sacrifice that's completely yielded to the Lord, that's what we are, a living sacrifice. And this is God's will for every believer, for us to yield ourselves to God as an instrument of righteousness. See, God looks among believers who are willing to do this. Those believers know Jesus not only as their Savior, but as their Lord. And how do we do this? Well, Paul tells us right here. He says we are not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed from worldliness to true spirituality. By how? By the renewing of our minds. And for the Christian leader, that means total unconditional commitment and dedication to living for the Lord. That means for leaders, we must depend on the transforming power of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to renew our minds. So, therefore, leaders must do the following. First, hear the Word. Romans 10.17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We must read and obey the Word. Revelation 1.3 says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Then we must study the word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightfully dividing the word of truth. And then memorize the word of God. Psalm 119.11 says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Also, as a side note, using the word of God in your prayers, and you should have a strong prayer life if you're a leader, is a powerful and effective way of honoring God and his faithfulness to honoring his word above his name. So use the word and God's promises in your prayers. And then we must meditate upon the word. Psalm 1-2 says, in talking about the blessings of the righteous man, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So Paul also tells us not to be conformed to the world because he knows that God and not the world must have first place in our lives. 
leaders, we need to put to death the deeds of the flesh and be crucified with Christ in order to live for the glory of God. 1 John 2.16 tells us that the world and the things of the world are in opposition to God and that these things are the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Christian leaders must always be consciously aware to guard their hearts not to love the world or the things of the world. Leaders must guard their hearts against lust or longing evil unlawful desires of carnal pleasures. The lust of the eyes tempts us with materialism, covetousness, jealousy, envy, or sexual lust. The lust of the flesh tempts us with desires of physical pleasure of all things that satisfy the flesh, including sex, drinking, drugs, overeating. And the pride of life tempts us with status, recognition, wealth, and the desire to be your own God. The Christian leader must flee from these lusts by resisting the temptations of the world, drawing near to God, resisting the enemy by standing firm, and using the full armor of God and being transformed by the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. So you see why it's so important to totally live for God. Leaders put in place safeguards against these temptations. For example, it's a well-known fact that Billy Graham never traveled alone, but was always in the presence of another godly leader, so no one could ever bring an ungodly accusation against him. At the Calvary Chapel we came out of, Raul Reese instructed his associate pastors that they were never to counsel women alone. They were to counsel women out in the foyer, in plain sight of others. Leaders and overseers can also use wisdom in not dealing with tithes and offerings, but entrusting this duty to faithful men with accountability standards in place so that there's not even the temptation to treat certain people with partialities with partiality. So use wisdom. Put place safeguards in place to protect your integrity and to keep yourself from stumbling. Carefully guard your reputation and always be on guard for the fiery darts of the enemy who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy your reputation. Strike the shepherd, scatter the sheep. And notice that Paul says that being a, li- a living sacrifice in Romans 12.1 is our reasonable service. In other words, it's not unreasonable. Yet the sad truth is that not all believers will make this total commitment, but a leader will. And because of that fact, this gives us a clue as to how God calls leaders. So, who is a leader? How do you become a leader? What sets you apart from others to be a leader? Well, the world picks leaders in a totally different way that God does. In the world, you work your way up to leadership. 
You have to learn and acquire strong communication skills, have the ability to motivate and inspire others, have good decision-making skills, have a clear purpose and vision, solve complex problems, have self-awareness. You get it. In the ministry, those things apply too. But in the kingdom of God, God chooses and calls leaders in a totally different way. He looks at the heart of a believer, and he decides who his leadership will be. So what is God looking for in a leader? I want to mention seven qualities of a godly Christian leader. First, love. Jesus commanded us to love God and to love others. In fact, that's what the Bible says is the way that they'll know we're Christians. A Christian leader has an intimate relationship with God, and out of that relationship, he bears the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So God can take any ordinary person and do extraordinary things with him because God's love is the most powerful force there is. And then second thing that God looks for in leaders, humility. Micah 6.8 tells us, He has shown the O man what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The Christian leader has a heart of humility and gratitude for all that the Lord has done for him. Therefore, he understands and he gives all glory to God in his dependency upon God and is grateful not only to God for his precious salvation, but for all the gifts and talents and opportunities to minister and for all the purposes that God has for him. And then third, God looks for a leader who's obedient. God always looks for leaders after his own heart, and God always blesses, always blesses obedience. He is looking for doers of the word of God, for those who practice self-discipline and pursue holiness. How can you lead others if you don't lead yourself first? How can you teach others if you're not teachable? And then fourth, God looks for a leader with integrity. A Christian leader gains integrity through faithfulness and perseverance by steadfastly being in the will of God, exercising self-discipline, and being led by the Holy Spirit. For example, as a leader, can you be trusted to keep confidences and personal information of those who ask you to for prayer requests or for counseling? Do you as a leader show yourself faithful and caring by returning phone calls in a prompt and timely manner? Do you pray for others when you tell them that you will? All these small things develop our integrity and our leadership skills. And then fifth, God is looking for an honest leader. Honesty is crucial to Christian leadership. Without it, trust is lost and relationships suffer. Admit your mistakes. Take responsibility for your actions. Humble yourself. Go to God, confess your sins, and repent. 
Sometimes Christians' leaders even have to correct people and admonish them and rebuke them. Remember, if you need to do that or when you need to do that, to be honest as you do so, and that it's possible to say all things honestly, gently, and in love. And then six, God looks for faithfulness in Christian leadership. A godly Christian leader needs to learn to live by faith. That means he needs to seek and trust God through various trials, make difficult decisions that require discernment, persevere, and keep hope in the promises of God even during difficult times. And the only way we can do that is by trusting the character and the promises of God and by seeking and obeying his will. Some of the most blessed times in our walk with the Lord was when we moved up to Washington from California to help start Calvary Chapel of Tacoma. Joe was out of work for six months. We had lived off of our savings and by faith, praying for all of our needs. I saw over and over and over again firsthand how God was Jehovah Jireh, the God who meets all of our needs. I learned to trust God's promises, like I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor God's children begging for bread. We saw God do miracle after miracle in answering prayers because we desperately needed his continual help. And he was faithful. He always came through. Whereas we saw this time as a trial and a test, God saw it as a way to build our faith and our faith, his faithfulness to us and our testimony, let alone show us how faithful he was. The other part of faithfulness for the Christian leader is that the Christian leader realizes that he will give an answer to God for everything. His walk with God, his work, his ministry, his relationships, and his lifestyle. We all want to stand before God one day to hear him say, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. And then seventh, and last but not least, God is looking in a Christian leader for servanthood. The Christian leader must have the heart to be a servant, Jesus said in Matthew 20, 25 to 28, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus himself was a servant leader. Years back, Gail Irwin wrote an excellent book called The Jesus Style about Jesus being a servant leader. I would highly recommend it for every Christian in leadership to read. And then a few more thoughts on leadership. I've heard it said that the Lord has 
three qualifications for his leaders. Number one, they need to be weak. God uses the weak to show himself strong. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29 says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put the shame to shame the things that are mighty, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Are you weak? Well, then you qualify for God to use you and make you strong in him. And then second, a godly leader needs to be willing. God looks at the attitude of your heart. Are you willing to obey what God tells you to do? If you are, that's faithfulness. There have been so many times that Joe has gotten phone calls late at night or when he's been totally busy and a person has requested him to go and make an emergency hospital visitation because somebody is dying. I know he doesn't always feel like going, but his heart is always willing and obedient because he'll never pass up an opportunity to share the gospel with anyone who's about to enter eternity. And Joe is always so overjoyed when most of those that he goes and sees accept the Lord, and he realizes the blessing and the privilege and honor that God used him to share the gospel at this crucial time in their lives. And then third, a godly leader God's looking for is one who is available. Is your time your own or does it belong to God? If he is Lord, you will make time for his work. That's faithfulness. Think about it. Jesus told, uh, chose 12 apostles to follow him, to train them to be leaders and then to change the world. Seven of them were fishermen. One, Matthew, was a hated tax collector. Another, Simon, was a Canaanite zealot who wanted to overthrow the Roman government. And then there was, of course, Judas, the betrayer, a thief and an embezzler. And the other two, we have no idea what they did. And then there was Paul. Granted, Paul was a leader. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, but he was also a persecutor and a murderer of Christians. But remember what God had to do to Paul before he could even use him? God had to break him, blind him, humble him, and totally start over again, teaching him after he surrendered to the Lord. Yet these ordinary men, these common men, became extraordinary and turned the world upside down for Jesus and for what they believed. And with the exception of Judas, who committed suicide after his betrayal, all the others 
with the exception of John, died for their faith. The world counted these men as insignificant, marginal, and foolish. Probably they thought of them as a motley crew of totally unqualified leaders. But God counted them for what he would make of them. And with the exception of Judas, again, as giants of the faith, as leaders by his calling and empowerment. In Philippians 1.6, Paul writes, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. Will you allow the Lord to use your life as a leader for his plan and his purpose? He will accomplish it through you. Being a leader in the kingdom of God is a high and honorable calling, but take heed. The Bible says in Luke 12, 48, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. You want to be a faithful servant as a Christian leader, representing the Lord in a worthy manner that doesn't misrepresent the Lord or bring the word of God to an open shame. Remember when Moses was leading the Israelites out in the wilderness and the people were thirsty and complained? God told Moses to strike the rock and water would come out of it for the people. Well, Moses was irate that the people murmured and complained, so he struck the rock all right, but he struck it in anger. And because he misrepresented the Lord, God told Moses that he wouldn't live to enter the promised land. So be careful how you misrepresent God. Remember, people are watching you. And women, a word to the wise. Sometimes it's best to take all of our cares and concerns to the Lord first rather than to our husbands, especially if it's on a Sunday morning. Memorize this scripture, do all things without murmuring or complaining. If you're upset because your husband is in leadership in the church and you're resentful of the time that he spends away from you or the children, tell God about it. Your children are watching you and they'll eventually become resentful or bitter if you are and if and this can very well lead them away from a personal relationship with the Lord. They can become resentful towards God and towards the church. Pray for your husbands in leadership. Most women I've talked to would deeply love for their husbands to be godly leaders in their homes and at church, so allow them to be. Being a leader allows you the blessing of seeing the best of people and the amazing works of the Lord among his people. Remember in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 at the wedding of Cana? The wedding host had run out of wine and Jesus' mother told Jesus and about it and then turned to the servants and told them, do whatever Jesus tells them to. To honor his mother, Jesus helped. 
He told the servants to fill the clay pots with water, and he turned the water miraculously into wine. In fact, the best wine. So much so that when the master of the feast thought that the best so much so that the master of the feast thought that the best wine was saved for last when he tasted it. Well, who do you think got the biggest blessing? Was it the wedding host for this amazing, miraculous surprise and miracle that Jesus did? Was it the master of the feast who got to taste this amazing wine first? Or was it the guest who enjoyed the best wine they had ever had? I think it was the servants because they were the ones who saw that it was Jesus who did the miracle. They saw it happen. They knew there was water in those pots. And every time that you serve the Lord in your area of ministry, you get to see Jesus working. You get to see Jesus do the miracles. And you get to see Jesus changing lives. But on the other hand, leadership and ministry can be hard it can be tiring, stressful, demanding, and disheartening. While it's true that you get to see the best of people, you also get to see the worst of people. But God is faithful. He promises he won't give you more than you can bear, although it sometimes feels like it. And he never, ever forgets your labor of love in behalf of the saints. Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love in ministering towards the saints and do minister. And God also has a special promise to those in leadership who minister and grow weary. Isaiah 40.31 says, But those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Though the word in the verse wait means to hope in the Lord and to wait for or wait on the Lord, for me personally, I think of this verse whenever I grow weary of serving. I think of waiting as waiting on, as a waiter serving his Lord. It's been said that we might grow weak and we might grow faint or weary, but God doesn't. That's because our God is an endless source of strength, and he's a generous God who gives us strength generously. I heard one pastor recently, in fact, just the other day, say, Our God is Jehovah Jireh. He's not Jehovah El Chipo. Our God loves to help weak and weary people. Our hope truly is in the Lord. It's been said that God's greatness is not just that he's strong, it's that he's strong for us. And God's glory is not just that he has power, but that he loves to use his power to help his people that need it. God is never too great to care. He's too great not to care. To close, I just have one more word of encouragement to you leaders. Remember that as an ambassador to Christ, 
and you represent him, always steer people to Jesus. You may not always be there for them, but the Lord will. I'll never forget how when we last visited Daniel's home fellowship, the people in the fellowship took turns sharing how they had been blessed in the home group, and one precious sister in the Lord shared, I thank God for Daniel and Laura because I've grown so much, and no matter what I was going through, they always, always, always pointed me to Jesus. That's what leadership is all about, pointing people to see Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just praise your holy, precious name, Lord, for such for being such a great and mighty and awesome God, Lord. Thank you for showing us the way to lead, to follow you, Lord, to be servants, Father, to be, be weak and willing and available for your use, for your plan, for your glory, for our reasonable service to you, Lord. Make godly leaders to honestly represent you with with integrity and character, with power and might that comes not from themselves, but from you, Lord. We praise your holy, precious name, and we thank you for the wisdom of your word, for your love and your power, Father. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well, I told you it was like a fire hose of wisdom. She brought the heat. Uh, she just had like nine or 10 pages of notes that she read and did a great job. And I'm so appreciative of my mom to be able to teach. She is an excellent teacher. She does teach a lot of uh, women's ministry and people and especially even, of course, our, the, her children, me. Um, and so I was really happy for her to be able to share and introduce you to her via this podcast and leadership lesson. And uh, of course, we'll have my dad share his leadership lesson on faith and faithfulness as well. But before I do that, what I want to do in this time is just I want to share with you some perspective as a PK. Now, you may not know what a PK is. That means pastor's kid. Okay. A pastor's kid. I grew up, uh, my dad being a bivocational pastor my entire life, both my mom and my dad, they moved from California to Washington state to help plan a church together. Um, just on fire for the Lord. And so I was one of the first kids to be born in Washington state. And so all I knew is my family in ministry. That's why we moved to Washington state to plan a church, uh, not only ministry, but a church planning family. Um, and so my entire life was filled with ministry, with seeing my dad serve the Lord, my mom serve the Lord, and them instill the value of following Jesus with your entire life. And so I know that there are many PKs that run away from God, run away from the church. And I thank God that that's not my story. But what I thought I'd do in this video is just share with you some things I appreciate as a pastor's kid. Uh, three things in particular that I saw that actually helped me as a PK that I appreciate now from my parents. And maybe you can learn and glean this um, wisdom from them as well as I share just my experience because I learned from that and now I want to pass those important principles on as I'm now a pastor and have children. And the first thing that I saw and valued in my parents was they had integrity. They had integrity. That made a lasting imprint in my life and something that I appreciated. Uh, meaning this, they were the same at our house as they were at church. I know it sounds silly, 
but my dad can actually preach better at a dinner table than he can from a pulpit. And that's actually what I remember uh, coming home, eating Sunday afternoon service and being like, dude, this dude just preached for an hour and now he's preaching for two hours and we're just hanging out. It was just our family. You know, my mom, she's a real person. She would call, she calls everyone sister, you know, sister in Christ. Yeah. Oh, sister, sister. Uh, she calls everyone sister and she loves people truly so much. So it's not just a fake thing at church. She calls all these people sister outside of church on a Monday, a Tuesday, dropping off food, making meals, just doing stuff. And they were both real for who they are. They had integrity. I remember growing up during the holidays, we always had people over in our church that didn't have family because that's what you do. Um, if you don't have family nearby, then we're your family. Come on, sister, come on over. We're going to have, we're going to celebrate Christmas or our Thanksgiving or whatever the big holiday was. They just loved people. And so it was normal for us to serve the Lord. And the bottom line is they practice what they preached so much so that, um, all of our lives actually revolved around the ministry as children. We were actually homeschooled. I know I was homeschooled. I got to claim it. But I'm not one of the weird ones, or maybe I am, and I'm just now realizing it. I don't know, but I did grow up in the hood. It was very bad, and part of us being homeschooled was my mom had a teaching degree, and she wanted to safeguard us and protect us, and so we didn't want to get in a lot of gang violence, and she homeschooled us. But the primary reason she did it wasn't to isolate us from the violence. It was actually to incorporate our life into the ministry. My dad was bivocational, and he worked swing shift from 2 p.m., or at least 3 p.m. He left at 2, and then he came home at around 1 or 2 in the morning, depending if he got overtime, four 10-hour shifts. And so my parents realized if my dad is working full-time and pastoring, man, the kids are never going to see him. And so what they literally did is uh, homeschooled us, and we were allowed to stay up until midnight every night because as a young boy, I remember watching Jalen with my mom and being able to sleep in in the morning. My dad would get home from work, wake up early while we were asleep, do ministry. And when he woke up, we got to spend some time with him before we went to school. And so, um, we really, um, had a lifestyle of serving the Lord and my parents really had integrity in that so much so to, um, make our home life and our ministry life the same. They just really did it. And I appreciate it. And I want to do that now with my kids. The second thing I saw in my family and appreciated growing up is my parents prioritized our family, our family union, their kids, me as a son, not as a PK. I remember going on family vacations every year. I remember my dad just telling my mom, well, we ain't got the funds. Put it on the credit card. We're going. And we would drive literally from Washington State to California all the way to Memphis, Tennessee and see my cousins, my aunts, my my uncles. Uh, it was amazing. It was incredible. Uh, my dad constantly would pick me up from late night basketball on a Friday night from the YMCA or take me here, or take me there. I realize now as an adult how hard that was to do, to, to take your children to all these different basketball appointments and fun things that they're into. Um, but they never complained. My dad said, I always got your back. You want to go there? I'll take you there. No big deal. And so my parents seemed to invest in us as a family. My mom, even though she had a teaching degree, uh, she homeschooled us, like I said, because she wanted to protect us, wanted to have us see my dad. And so um, we would be safe and things like that. So rather than being wealthy in a dual income uh, uh, family, um, we were more on the poor side, but she valued prioritizing our family, not even money and investing in us as children. And so I have a lot of special memories from 
my dad taking me fishing, helping him mow the lawn, um, spending time with him, cooking with my mom, um, even memories of me just playing at the church. Uh, now, I know as an, as an adult now, it wasn't like they were spending hours and hours and hours every day with all of us. They were super busy, but they did prioritize and made room for special events to make sure that they were parents. And that's important. We're raising children, whether we're pastors or not, whether we're church leaders or not. And that is our first calling. And, um, my perspective now is my parents loved me. They loved my family. They loved my, loved my siblings. Uh, I never remember feeling the pressure of being a pastor's kid because in my eyes, they were my parents and I was their child and that's it. In fact, my, my parents never actually mentioned to me that I should be in ministry, but actually encouraged me to go into business. I, I went to Running Start. My mom helped me out with all these papers and different things like that because she saw the interest that I was in the business. I later got my business administrative degree and my dad never asked me once or put the pressure on, you should be a pastor. No, just serve God with your life and whatever you do, go for God's glory. They loved us as kids, as children, and that was that. And they prioritize that. I appreciate that. Lastly and thirdly, they not only had integrity, they not only prioritized us in ministry, but my parents guarded us, or you could say even trained us. Um, now, what do I mean by that? Well, like I said, I was never told I needed to be in ministry or even be a certain way as a pastor's kid. Um, now, I was told you, you shouldn't do this because you're a Christian, because that's wrong and that's sin, or because you're my child, I'm not going to let you be an idiot. My dad always said, God gave you a brain, son, you need to use it. Okay. But there was no pressure because I was a pastor's kid. I had to act a certain way. My parents, they guarded us actually from being involved in the mess of ministry. Uh, my mom now often tells women and men, parents in general in ministry, never speak bad about others in church or people's sins in front of your children. Uh, you don't want to taint what ministry is. They have a view that ministry is a blessing and even bearing each other's burdens or people's sins is a blessing. And so they guarded us. I remember many private conversations they had. They wouldn't talk or gossip in front of us as kids. I later found out some things as an adult or overheard some things, of course, but it wasn't in the culture. Uh, I, I don't remember them doing this. They never told bad the bad about people when they left our church. In fact, uh, they had a rule that they would never speak about these type type of stuff uh, in front of us, and we just knew, hey, we can't ask because they they're they're not going to tell us. But they also guarded us or trained us by not just guarding us from the mess, but including us in the ministry. They included us uh, with some fun things, the fun part of ministry. Uh, I remember going to the hospital with my dad, seeing people pass away and screaming out, look, there's an angel coming for me. Joe, do you see it? Uh, I remember uh, being a part of the bread ministry and helping pass out bread and food to people or my mom and parents bringing me along to feed others or pray with people to help set up and tear down. That's right. We were part of the setup and teardown team and so are my kids. Thank God. Um, but they brought us along in some of this ministry, meaning they didn't just coddle us and say, no, no ministry at all. They just guarded us to age appropriate stuff to allow us to see the benefits of serving others, the benefits of ministry and to see God work. So I learned a lot of ministry, um, in the early days of my life and seeing people here to cancer or, um, you know, prayers being answered, prayer meetings at my house, Bible studies at my house. Um, 
those type of things. And so I'm sure that I've learned a lot more from them. Uh, and yes, um, I overheard conversations and what, what I wasn't supposed to, and they didn't do everything right. But I think those are three things that stand out to me now as a pastor, as an adult that has kids in ministry. Um, I want to have integrity. I want to be myself at my house as I am with others and friends or at church. Um, I want to prioritize my family, making special memories, going on vacation, uh, being flexible in my schedule, uh, maybe working later, uh, mid-afternoon break. What I've been doing lately is just working out with my son in the mid-afternoons because that's when he's available. Then I just go back to work when he's doing homework. Um, you know, so prioritizing my family, being flexible, and then training and guarding my children, not gossiping and giving them the mess of ministry, but including them in the ministry. I want to train them. I want to guard them and say, hey, ministry is tough, but look, you can actually know the blessings of serving God. And so for these reasons, I appreciate my parents and all that they taught me as a pastor's kid. And I hope that these lessons that I share with you would have been beneficial to you and you can learn from my experience. And uh, man, I wanted to share that as my parents have been pouring into me. And with these leadership lessons, I figured I'd give you a little bit of nugget and wisdom and some counsel as well. So uh, man, this next leadership lesson is by my dad. You heard from my mom and now here's my dad. And so um, my dad is funny. He was a little bit more unprepared, but yet he still had some notes, just not as much as my mom. But he talks about uh, his leadership lesson, the difference uh, of faith and faithfulness. And so uh, really blessed to have him share and want to open up a little bit and be transparent. When he shared this, uh, he had found out that he actually had uh, prostate cancer. He didn't tell me. Uh, tell me. told me this was last year. He told me a few weeks later. Um, but I've seen him journey and God heal him and he went through radiation and be able to um, just think about these things with that perspective as he's going through cancer, not knowing what's going to happen. He wanted to make sure that I knew and other people like you serving the Lord uh, know what life's all about, that it's about serving God, being faithful, having faith in God and being faithful to what he tells you to do. And so uh, just another uh, little nugget of his character uh, being revealed as he went through his fiery trial uh, that Peter tells us we can expect. Um, he was still pointing people to Jesus, still pouring into others, uh, still preaching the gospel. And so uh, he's just bleeding another uh, 25 minutes of fire hose wisdom for us. And I hope that you enjoy his leadership lesson as well. It's good to be with you guys this morning. Um, my name is Pastor Joe Williams. Uh, I'm the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Tacoma, Washington, for the last 40 years. Uh, I want to share with you guys a few things that I've learned uh, in ministry. Uh, this morning, I want to talk to you guys about faith and faithfulness. Faith and faithfulness, because I feel they both go hand in hand. Uh, you know, you have to have faith not in yourself, not faith in your faith, but you got to have faith in the Lord constantly. Because things, I don't know if I'm talking to most of the pastors, I probably am, but somebody in leadership, uh, you guys have probably already found out that sometimes things don't go according to plan. I think it's good to have a plan. I think it's good to plan ahead, but I think we have to also uh, be flexible enough to know that we are really not in control, but the Holy Spirit is. And uh, 
a lot of people tell me over the years, they says, man, you've been pastoring for 40 years, man. It, it should be so easy for you right now, but that's not true at all. I think ministry right now is harder uh, than when I first started. Uh, there's spiritual warfare you have to deal with constantly. Uh, you know, the Bible said we have an adversary. Satan goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But the Bible says also resist him in the faith. And that's my first topic. I want to talk to you about faith. Because the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. Because he that comes to God must believe that he is. And he's a rewarder to those that diligently seek him. And he wants you to have faith. Not in your feelings. We are walking by faith. Because the word of God is not going to change. So you're going to come across many different situations uh, in your ministry. You're going to see things that other people don't see. You're going to experience things that other people don't experience. And I'm sure you've already found this out. Being a pastor is a lot more uh, to it than just teaching a Bible study. Uh, there's things that go on behind the scenes. But the Bible says that faith is, uh, is, is the uh, evidence of things hoped for. It's the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It's the evidence of things not seen before we walk by faith and not by sight. Faith is just a way of life. Trust in God in every situation, in every circumstance. They say if a person, uh, as someone said, living without faith is like driving in the fog. Just like driving in the fog. You know, faith is like a muscle. The more you exercise it, uh, the, the stronger it's going to get. So don't be afraid. You know, Jesus told the, Luke chapter 5, told the disciples to uh, launch out into the deep for a catch. And they said, well, you know, we've been here all night and caught nothing. But at your word, we will do what you said. And the Bible said, after they had done this, in other words, after they had done what he told them to do, after they had obeyed, then they saw the miracle. So unless you will be obedient and re really put your faith and do what he tells you to do, you'll never know what you're capable of. So many people ask me, say, has God ever asked you to do something that you can't do? I say, well, yeah, all the time. But he can do anything through a willing heart and a, and a willing vessel. It's just believe in God in spite of the situation, in spite of the circumstances. Even when you don't understand, as the song says, even when you can't see it, he's working because he's never stops. He never stops working. Even when he's silent, he's still working. Even when you don't understand, he's still working. He's still working because faith honors God and God is going to honor faith. And you're not going to never know until you step out. I mean, I, I try to encourage young pastors all the time because you don't know unless you step out and give it a shot and see what God will do. Uh, I don't think God wants us to play it safe. He wants us to continue to step out and move forward. The Red Sea did not part until they moved forward. And I want you guys to continually, in spite of the circumstances, continually to move forward. They said faith will never be uh, really strengthened under surrounding, under comfortable surrounding circumstances. If your circumstances is comfortable all the time and everything is going well all the time, uh, you will never really you really, really don't need faith as long as things are going good. But God never shows, God always tells us to trust him 
And God already knows how strong your faith is. But, you know, many times trials and circumstances come into our lives to show us how strong our faith is. But when our faith is weak, and he's still strong. And when you make mistakes, you know, uh, we all have. You know, I, I, I learned more from people who have not shared those success stories, but I've learned more from people who have been down in the valleys and come out. And now they are able to tell how God has brought him through it. You know, uh, Jesus told Peter, you know, says, Satan desired to sift you as wheat. You know, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith does not fail. And when you return, strengthen your brethren. And, and he did return. So Satan knows that this is the victory that overcomes the world is even your faith, 1 John 5. And your faith is going to constantly be under attack. Under attack all the time. Because he, no matter what this life throws at you, you know in the end that you are going to win. Because you've read the last chapter, right? So I know you're going to win. So no matter what you're going through, uh, you're not going through it alone. So I really want you to stay focused on Christ and not the situation. You can't change people. And many times you can't change the circumstances. And God never told us to change people because people are fickle. You know, the in and out, the back and forth. Uh, you never know. But if your faith is in Christ, that's why the Bible said, be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work is knowing that your work is not in vain. It's not in vain. So be stable. You know, I've been in ministry 40 years, and I tell you, you know, I'm still learning. I'm still learning how to trust the Lord in spite of um, my surroundings. So many people said that they would be with me uh, and they would support me, and a lot of people left. I think we all experience those times where people say, well, you know, uh, we're going we're gonna to be there with you, man, and we're going to walk through the valleys with you, and we're going to, but all those people, they're they gone now. But that didn't really stop me. I said, you know what? My faith is not in people. My faith is in the Lord. There was a time when they all left Jesus. There was a time when everybody left Paul. But that's okay. You only want the right people around you anyway. You don't want the wrong people around you because the wrong people can pull you down and discourage you. Jesus said, these things... I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. Did you hear that? In me you might have peace. Not in anything else. He said in me you might have peace. And he said in this world that you will have tribulation. He didn't say you might. He said in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. So he, he is for you and he is not against you. Whether you can feel his presence or whether you can't, he's still there. Because he's not going to go against his word. And he has promised never to leave you nor, nor forsake you. And also get around other people who can encourage you in their faith. Um, other pastors who can encourage you and pray with you. Don't try to do it alone. Uh, because it's, it's very hard. People try to do it alone and they're very discouraged. But if you have someone that you can go to. And I was reading an article on Focus on the Family. They were saying that most pastors... They said that they don't have anybody that they can really go to to bear their hardwood, to talk to about their problems. Uh, so try to find you someone that can 
encourage you. The Bible says, Ephesians 6, Paul in the full armor of God, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, Paul say, Above all, take on the shield of faith, which is able to quench all the fiery darks of the enemy. It's able to quench all the fiery darks of the enemy. So, if you're going to have a ministry, you can't, you can't really build the church. Christ said he would build a church. It's his church. It's his people. It's not yours. He has made you an overseer. But he has chosen to use you because he knows that he can work in you and through you. I did not choose to go into the ministry. God chose me to go into the ministry. And God chose you. And he chose you for a reason. With your personality, you haven't got to try to copy anybody else, uh, compare your ministry to anybody else. If you only got 20 people, so be it. If you only got 15 people, if God wants you to pass to 15 people, so be it. Just be faithful to those 15 people. And on that day, he will say, well done, good and thou faithful servant. So just, just hang in there. Stay focused. Because if you're not focused, you're going to vacillate. You're going to go back and forth. Stay focused on the things that are really important. And also as a leader, uh, I just want to say, uh, try to guard your time as much as possible because ministry can be very demanding. And uh, sometimes you have to learn to say no. You can't do it all. Learn to delegate. You can't do it all. It's too much. And when you find yourself getting tired, uh, you know, you need a break, then take a break. You know, so anyway, I just want to share a little about uh, about faith. But my next topic here, I want to just share a little bit about faithfulness because, because I think they both go hand in hand. Faithfulness. Uh, God never called me to be successful. God never called me to be famous. Um, you know, most people don't even know who I am, and that's fine. Uh, I, I, it's not my focus to, to be running around here and there doing this and that. Hey, I'm, I'm very happy right here with my congregation is probably about on a good Sunday, 50 people on a bad Sunday, 25 or 30. So you don't focus on that. You don't focus on who's who's not there. You focus on who is there. You be faithful to the ones. I don't care if you can only help one. Be faithful to who God has called you. You don't do not despise the small things, you know. Uh, he want to he want to test you and see if, if you will be faithful in the small things before he will give you bigger things. Yeah, anybody can be faithful to the five thousand, but can you be faithful to the twenty? That's what he wants you. That's what he wants to find out. The Bible says, "Faithful is he that calleth you, and he will do it." He didn't say you would do it. He said he will do it. So let the Holy Spirit lead. Be flexible. Don't try to carry this whole ministry up on your shoulders. Because you can't do it alone. God has promised he would never leave you nor forsake you. If you will be faithful, if you will stay the course, the rewards are waiting. Either maybe, maybe not with people, but it's certainly waiting for you in heaven. And, you know, um, don't be distracted. There are so many things. You know, that Satan, I think there's more distractions now than it was when the apostles were here. They didn't have Internet and Facebook and all that, you know, cell phones. There's more distractions now. And everybody wants your time. Everybody. Well, you can't give everybody your time. 
you got to prioritize things and see and delegate and see what's really important. So you want to stay the course uh, and, and don't look at the situation. It's very easy to get discouraged nowadays. It is so much spiritual warfare. There's so many things going on. Uh, it's very hard to get discouraged, especially when you when you feel your church is not growing. It's not growing fast enough. The church down the street, man, they got 500 and you only got 30. You know, you're like, wow, what what those guys are doing over there? But I found out over the years that just because people have a big crowd, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're teaching good doctrine. So you can teach good doctrine in a small church and you can have a blessed church with a, with a, a small amount of people. So you don't want to look at the numbers. Be faithful where God has put you. Now, you stay there until God tells you different. You stay right there. And if God wants to move you someplace else in his time, he will let you know. So, Paul, you know, Paul said, I thank Jesus Christ Jesus, my Lord, who counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who before was a blasphemer. He, Paul said God put him there. He didn't just choose uh, to go into the ministry like choosing, like choosing a vacation, like a doctor or a lawyer or something. He said he, God put him there. So you got to know that God put you there. You did not put yourself there. The Bible said, blessed is that servant when his master come, we'll find him doing. We'll find him doing. The Bible said we should uh, be about our father's business and we should be occupying until he comes. We're not supposed to just sit. We're supposed to be occupying until he comes. But the Bible said, for God is not, he's not going to forget, he's not going to forget your work of labor, which you have shown toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints. He's not going to forget that. Anything you do in Jesus' name. Now, we don't deserve anything. You know it and I know it. I'm just happy just to get to heaven. I don't care about the reward. I'm just happy to get there. But he is going to reward us for our, for our uh, faithfulness. That's why 1 Peter 5 says, Shepherd the flock of God who, who has made you overseers. Not by compulsion. Not because you have to, but willingness. By doing it willingly from the heart. So God is going to reward you for your faithfulness. And, you know, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and the rewards is handed out, man, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I don't know. I guess we're going to throw him down at his feet or something because we don't deserve no reward. All we're doing is just teaching his word and his word will transform, uh, will transform people's lives. You can't change people. I can't change people. I can't save people. You can't save people. But if you teach the word, you know, the last second Timothy, the last book of the Bible, uh, when Paul was going to go meet the Lord, he said, I haven't been poured out like a drink offering. And he said, my departure is at hand. He said, I have fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. And he said, now I'm going to get that crown, that crown of righteousness. He says, not only me, but all those who love his appearing. The, the, rewards, the rewards will outweigh the trials. And just because you might be going through a trial today, you might be. And if not today, it'll be tomorrow. If not tomorrow, it's going to be next week or next month. But God is going to be with you through the trials and you're going to come out stronger and you're going to be able to encourage so many other other people. So stay faithful. Put your faith in Christ. Be a person of prayer. Be a person of the word. God will give you the strength you need 
because you cannot do anything. The Bible says apart from him, what we can do nothing, right? So we can't do it apart from him. So he wants us. I know we don't like it because I don't like it. I want to be in control even till this day, but I'm not. I want to be in control. But the Holy Spirit says, no, I want to be in control and not you. So I have to just back off and say, okay, Lord, what, whatever you want to do, hey, you know what, I, I'll go with you, but what you want to do, because God can see the whole picture. You could only see just a glimpse, but he can see the whole picture. So do you trust him? Would you be patient? Just be patient. I know you guys probably been praying for things. Uh, we prayed for our own building, you know, for 20 years. We didn't have a building. We had to go in and set up and take down and all that, like you guys probably doing. Got to get there early, set up the sound system, take it down, set up chairs, take them down. And I thought, man, we'll never get our own building. But we did after 20 years, and we bought a building, and now the building is paid for. My point is that God works everything out according to his own will, according to his own timing, and not yours. And I know... I, I get impatient. I know you do too. You know, that's why they, everybody's impatient nowadays. It seems like no one has any patience. But one of the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. What? Patience. Goodness. Meekness. Self-control. You got to have patience to be in the ministry because um, it takes a long time, many times, to build a church for years and years. And I've talked to a lot of pastors, even here in Tacoma, where they get discouraged because they come out here from California. They think, man, I'm going to build a church in two months, uh, two years. It doesn't work out what, the way they thought or fast enough. They get impatient and they get discouraged. But listen, God does everything according to his own time schedule and not yours. He is not on your time schedule. And if you would just stay faithful... And he's only going to do the thing that's going to bring him glory. You can't take any credit for it. It's going to be done in a way you're going to know it was from him and not from you. Because he's not going to share his glory with anybody. So, with that said, if you, will be, if you will be faithful and if you will have faith, if you will stay the course, if you will stay up in prayer and the word of God, man, you're going to be fine. But it, it's not going to be easy. And I'm not going to say uh, ministry is easy because it's not easy. If it was easy, everybody would want to do it, right? Well, everybody doesn't. You got more guys getting out of ministry now than ever. Because it's no, it's no cakewalk. I mean, it's a lot of blessings, but it's also a lot of setbacks and trials, you know. So, you know, Paul writes to Timothy, he said, Endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. You know, no one in listening to the army, you know, is going to, uh, he's going to try to please the one that called him to be a soldier. So we're trying to please Christ. You are not trying to please people. So, well done. He's going to say to you, if you stay faithful, stay the course, man. Don't if, you did, if you do get discouraged, and you will, because I still do. People say, well, have you ever felt like quitting? I say, sure, every Monday. So, but I haven't because the Holy Spirit won't let me quit. They say, well, I, I just turned 74, right? I just, well, I just turned, I'll be 75 in May. I'll be 75 years old in May, you know. And um, people say, well, how much longer are you going to pastor? I says, well, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to do it as long as I can. And when I can't, uh, 
You know, right now I'm training up other people, even right now, to take my place. Because the church has to go on. I don't want, you know, the church just to fall apart. If, if, if something happens to me, I want the church to continue because the church, the church should not be built on one person. So when you do that, and if you need to talk to me anytime, I don't know who's watching this. Cause Daniel just came up here and set this thing up real quick and told me to start talking. So I'm just talking. I'm just talking from the heart, the things that I've experienced. And I think I've experienced a lot over 40 years where I can pass some things on to you and hopefully save you from making some mistakes that I've made. So with that, God bless you. It was very nice to talk to you guys today and I'll be praying for you. And if you ever need to call me, you can get my, uh, I'll have Daniel give you my phone number and you can call me anytime. I'll be happy to talk to you guys. God bless. Well, this was a fun episode for me uh, to have both of my parents pour into you today. I try to keep the episodes around an hour. I know it's a little longer, um, but I wanted to just give you a great content. That's what we want to do here at EE Leaders. It's a ministry to encourage and equip you. And I hope that you were encouraged and equipped. I hope that you uh, would know that we are praying for you, that we support you, that we love you. And so, man, if I've never met you personally, just know that I pray for an audience and a crowd, but you can always reach out to me. You can email me at daniel at eeleaders.com. Reach out to me on the social media platforms. Uh, let people know about this ministry because we do really care about those that are serving the Lord and we want to train and equip and help those that are serving the Lord and be an encouragement to you. And so I pray that uh, my relationship with my parents has blessed you today for them to be able to pour into you for their investment in me going on to you. I know it makes them very happy and I'm very privileged to be able to do that. And so um, I'm excited to bring you more leadership lessons from the Pacific Northwest as I have two more pastors from there. My dad's assistant pastor share their wisdom and well, but that will be another episode at another time. For now, I think that's enough content for today's episode. And so thanks so much for joining me. I would love to have you share this content if it benefited you with others, whether it be a, a, a text someone this episode or just even leaving a review, five-star review and a comment. It really does help the algorithm, help people more discover this episode. Uh, if you're watching it on video, you can hit the subscribe and bell notification uh, on YouTube and make sure you get more content and even share those links. Um, but I just appreciate you spending this time with me uh, in this episode. It was season five, episode eight, a episode for my parents and uh, mom and daddy. I love you. Thank you guys so much for watching and we'll see you in the next video.